This is The Michael Bryan Show. Hi everyone, welcome back to the show and today I'm joined with Dr. Raymond Atiri who is an accelerated learning pro and he's also the world's leading authority on the science of speed. So we're talking about learning, improving your walking speed I think and much much more. So Raymond, thanks for being a guest on the show. So much Mike, it's my pleasure to be on your show. So one of the first things that I noticed about yourself was that you've actually overcome your own difficulties. You've overcome your own hand that you were dealt, so to speak, and you've had to make the best out of that. So before we dive into the science of learning and things like that, share a bit about your own journey and what you've had to overcome. Yeah, certainly. Um... Mike, I was about six months old when I caught uh, this uh, polio virus. And uh, I was back then in India in a remote area. So there were no facilities, no awareness, uh, nothing of that sort at that time. So unfortunately, I got it and one of my legs got paralyzed. And with that, I lost my ability to walk. Uh, I would say well before uh, the age of reaching there when kids typically you know, learn to walk. So from that point onward, I could never walk normally. So I had to use a lot of uh, walking aids, like uh, walking canes, and I had to use those, uh, what they call prosthetics, those are sort of uh, steel rods and what they call it, calipers or something. They used to have some name like that. Eventually, I learned to use uh, crutches. So that's my current mode of uh, uh, walking. But it has been a journey for me, evolving through different uh, uh, stages. Uh, there was a time when I was hardly able to crawl on the floor. And that was my best mode of uh, uh, moving from one point to another. Uh, eventually, I learned um, and I learned in a hard way that uh, how I can at least, you know, go about with the normal activities in my life. And uh, it has been a kind of struggle going through the school, then, you know, working with the people who are normal bodied and uh, then making my place uh, in the school and later in the professional life. So what kinds of things that you're okay to share, of course, that you had to do to learn? Because it's one thing to learn when you're younger because you don't necessarily know whether you're doing things right or wrong. You just kind of keep trying until you eventually start walking. But when you go from having the use of your legs to no longer that's different isn't it because you've had to learn how to walk and then struggling again it's almost as if like you had to reteach yourself how to do it a second time what was that process like if if you can remember and obviously feel free to miss things out if it's a bit too uncomfortable for you yeah certainly mike now i do remember i delivered a tedx talk a few months ago and they asked me to actually rate my journey that how I went through from that state to what I am today. So I'm happy to share with you. Um, when I was a kid, about a three year or four year old, I didn't know what was wrong with me. Nobody told me what was abnormal with me, but that's come when you com start comparing with your peer, with your classmate and other people around that, the kind of activities they can do, I couldn't do. So I was kind of alienated and the more I tried to participate, more I was kind of pushed away. 
So there are a lot of rejection. There were a lot of uh, bullying. There were a lot of uh, people making fun of me. In the beginning, I didn't understand, but eventually I figured it out. You know, I'm different. I got something which other people don't have. So I had to kind of live with that, but it came about very hard. Um, I remember that uh, it, I was also at the risk of going to school. I mean, uh, the kids like me typically wouldn't get the opportunity to go to school because the biggest problem would be how the kid is going to go to school. Schools were not near. Those were remote areas and schools were several kilometers away. So in those circumstances, I was at the risk of not even getting to any nearest school. Uh, but somehow that prosthetic I was talking about, that saved me. It gave me a sort of robotics uh, walk. I could hardly, you know, uh, take one step like a, like a robot. It was, its weight was somewhere about 20 kg or something. It was probably more than my own weight. So I had to drag that one along with, uh, with my leg. And uh, what happened is that basically I kind of became an alien robot for the rest of my friends. And every time I was left behind. So then I said, you know what, uh, this is going to go with me. In the beginning, I couldn't accept it. But as I went along... I figured out acceptance is the number one thing we have to kind of uh, um, really adjust with. We have to accept what we are into because most people get into this mode of trying to change the things. But unless we accept what situation we are in, we can't change anything. So once I accepted, you know, it's part of me. It's part of my personality. So that thinking process of considering it a part of my personality allowed me to think about, okay, now it is part of my personality. That makes me different from the rest of the people. How could I use it? And I found the answers in exact the same thing, that I wasn't able to move. My mobility was very little. I was kind of contained in a room. I was pretty much kind of tied to a chair. I could only watch the rest of the kids who playing in the playground. So that gave me plenty of distraction-free time. And also, I didn't have a social circle because I was contained in this room. I didn't have those friends who will come and distract you or take your attention away. So I leveraged that particular immobility and anything that came with it, like uh, I could uh, read books and nobody disturbed me ever. I could do paintings. I could do artistic things. I could do a lot of creative things. And then I found that those things basically differentiated me because I could do better. I could focus, I could pay attention, and I could uh, leverage learning. And learning was something as kids we always find difficult. We never get good teachers who will really give us a good understanding how to learn something. But I somehow, by practicing, master that art. And that art is what basically, you know, kind of made me stood uh, like an X factor, you can say. It gave me an X factor, and that's what propelled me forward. And uh, to answer your question, that leverage in my limitations, that was, I think, the key. And what I called in my TEDx speech was, you always have windows in your walls. So those were my windows. That's how I kind of turned the things around. One of the key things that really stuck out for me there, Raymond, was your ability to accept your reality for want of a better expression sometimes we can convince ourselves of something that isn't the case and that can be a limiting thing that's not necessarily actually true whereas with yourself it was there it was an actual thing that you had to be able to accept to then be able to find the solution for 
what would you say is one of the keys to uh, being able to not just find the things that are actually true that can limit you, but how do you then actually accept them? Because I find accepting being a struggle for a lot of people. Yeah, I think acceptance is uh, very hard. It comes very hard. It comes very slow. And more often, people think they accept something, but then they continue to complain about this. They continue to uh, a kind of having some kind of grudges against that particular thing. That means they, they, they kind of say that, you know, nothing else can be done. So I accept it. But in reality, that's not true acceptance. That's a compromise that you couldn't figure out any other solution. Hence, you settled for it. So that's a compromise. So compromise at some stage becomes trouble because how long you can put up with the compromise. True acceptance, what I realize is something where you feel I accept it and this is my X factor. This is my differentiator. That means the moment you accept that thing, it gives you strength. It does not give you a reason to complain. And my logic of acceptance is that Whatever you are into, whether it's a bad situation, whether it's adversity, whether it's a struggle or it's a loss of any kind, look whether it can really act as your X factor or not. The moment you accept it with the heart, you will start seeing the X factor or other way around. You figure out first what's the X factor it's going to give you. And then you say, okay, now I accept it and I'm going to use it in my life. And I have seen that true in any case. Some people are fundamentally negative thinkers. But what they do is they keep trying to become positive in their life, try to induct these positive feelings, and they can't accept that negativity, what they have. But I tell them is maybe that negativity can become your X factor. I had one friend who was very negative uh, uh, thinking guy. He would, he would find negative things in any positive thing. And now he is a top-notch uh, risk assessor for one of the biggest banks in the world. So you see that you have to accept who you are, what you are born with, what your personality traits are. And the moment you figure out this is your X factor, this is gonna differentiate you. This is how you do things differently. Then it becomes true acceptance with strengths. Is it almost like where you've got to find a way of using it to your benefit before we start to really accept it? Because if we can't use it, if it doesn't help us in any way, that could become more of a burden, can't it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I have, uh, you know, begun to write a book. It's called How to Change Your Life Without Changing Yourself. Fundamentally, what I found is whatever you have, if you accept it, you would possibly never feel the need to change it. All you will have to do is to leverage it strategically in such a way that you can get everything what you want out of your life using those exact things at the first place you thought you want to change. How important would you say self-awareness is to being able to get to that space where you start to use it? Because if you don't know, it's almost like if you don't know yourself, then I get the impression anyway that it slows everything else down because you don't have the level of awareness to know the steps that you're taking are the right ones. Yeah, that's right. I mean, um, Mike, I think you hit the you know, uh, nail directly that uh, um, part of this one is clarity. And clarity in today's chaotic world doesn't come easy. 
everyone is distracted, everyone is confused, everyone is diffused, and lots of uh, information, activities, or whatever we see around us. And many times we copy other people, we try to follow other paths, and we become overly confused and we lose clarity. So clarity and particularly self-awareness is a very important piece. Um, my concept of clarity uh, came through a lot of experimentation. So I realized there are five factors to self-awareness. If we have that one, we will always have super clarity. And I also believe that if you have clarity, you're always going to move faster in your life. So the five things that I realize is on personality side, there are two things you need to know very important, who you are and who you are meant to be. Many times these are two different things. Who you are now, maybe not the person you always wanted to be or you always meant to be. So we always have to travel this distance in order to become self-aware about ourselves. That's number one. On the other side of the spectrum is more of a perspective. It's about why. Why do you do the things? Whatever you want to do in your life, why do you do? And that's your emotional drive, your motives. Uh, um, those are your feelings. You feel frustrated about something. You want to change something. That's why. But that's not enough. Other side of that why spectrum is what for? You want to do something for some reason, but what is the ultimate thing you want to get out of that? That outcome needs to be very clear. So once you have clarity of why and what for, on this side, you have clarity about who you are and who you are meant to be. If you can somehow common anchor this with your definition of success, you're always going to be highly self-aware about where you are and where you want to go. And once you get that clarity, my philosophy is it's going to take you forward faster. Is there an element of comparison with that, though? Because you need to know where you are in relation to others, I guess, or your goal to a certain extent. You need to know where where you stack up a little bit. I get the impression that it's likely to breed comparison with something. Is that true and is that effective? What are the, the alternatives? Because the, if you compare yourself to something that's helpful, it's quite easily to shift that over to something that's not helpful. So how did you think about that? I was trained as an engineer. So in engineering, there is a concept of reference. So for example, uh, you know, speedometer and the, the police which they use to find the speed of the moving cars. If it is not calibrated to an absolute source, it's never gonna give you the correct speed measurements. So that's very important. What do you compare yourself to? What if you are comparing yourself with your, uh, your circle of friends? Is that the right standard to compare? Or are you gonna compare with the top notch leaders in the industry? Is that where you wanna go and you want to compare? I realized that comparing with other people as reference gonna lead us nowhere because then it becomes a definition of success which is relative to other. But I believe that our success needs to be relative to us, where we want to go what the outcome looks like to me, what the success looks like to me. And if I take that as an absolute reference, then I say, okay, all right, compared to that absolute success definition, I'm here and I need to go there. So I think it is less about comparing with others and going ahead of others. It's more about surpassing what you've done yesterday and creating new standards. 
how would you help people find a frame of reference that's helpful? Because I found that when I shifted who I compared myself to, I felt better because I was able to get closer to them. It's almost like when I tried to compare myself to someone that was always going to be ahead, no matter how much I tried, that made things very difficult. I was always feeling like I wasn't good enough. I was always comparing myself to things that I could never actually get the same as or even close to, no matter how hard I tried. And over time, that got difficult. That got very confusing. I was working really hard with very little progress in my own head, even though I was progressing anyway. But I found that when I shifted my frame of reference, that got so much easier, so more peaceful as well. Like I was less stressed all the time. But that was a skill I had to learn many years ago now. It's something I still try to incorporate. I've got a way that worked for me, but in the spirit of learning things and trying to improve yourself, how do you think about frame of reference? Where do you compare yourself to when it comes to learning something new as well? I think if we can use the exact same philosophy, um, because if you look at the learning, learning is also, you know, uh, people learn for themselves and people learn for their success. People learn for their progression. But also there is a, you know, in the back of everybody's mind is that I want to be more successful and hence I want to learn. Every time I tell people, yes, you're going to need to learn for an outcome. If you don't learn for an outcome, you will never know where you're going to go. So the outcome is now tied to your success. If you can marry outcome and success together, that means if you define your success in the terms of outcomes, it is much easier to go there because you got clarity. Clarity is very important as well on the path. And what happens is the moment you have outcomes, now you can translate that into goals and then you can translate goals into milestones and milestones you can translate into action. So it becomes a kind of pyramid of hierarchy where you know that the outcomes at the top, but then it gives you a very systematic frame of reference where you are. So if tomorrow I ask you, where are you, Mike, relative to your outcome? So you will know that how many milestones you have already covered, how many more to go. So you will be very sure about saying, I'm 40% there or 30% there. So that became your frame of reference that I am on the right track and I'm going slow or am I going fast? I originally thought maybe I want to go there in one year, but it's taking me a long time. It's already two years and I'm now nowhere close. So then you know that you're going slow. That means whatever you have been learning alongside is not working for you. Either you're learning slow or you are not learning the right thing or you're learning the things which are not directly contributing to achieve the outcome. Hence, it's not, not going to help you achieve your milestones either. So once you kind of converge your learning toward the outcome, you're always going to learn just enough. And by just enough learning means you're going to save a lot of time, which you can spend on other things. And that will give you a sort of propulsion or a, a kind of a, you know, sequence or a speed. It's going to allow you to do additional things, which is ultimately going to help you to speed up things. So that's the way to define the frame of reference when your goal is to learn. Focus plays a massive part. Is that something you would agree with? Is that something you would think 
the listeners and people watching would need to be able to achieve as well. It's almost like clarity's one half of the coin focuses the other half. Let, let me kind of add my perspective there, Mike. You made a very beautiful comment there. Um, clarity, where you want to go, that's determined by your outcome. So that means you always got to need to focus on your outcomes. If you don't focus on your outcome, uh, that clarity is very going to be very hard. And along the way, I think most people have a little, um, I would say, misrepresented view of focus. Um, typical definition of focus, uh, the way we have read in the books or way the most management or leadership gurus have told us is do one thing at a given point of time. That kind of focus is probably not going to work in today's world because today's world is very noisy. There are multiple channels of things. You're going to need to do multiple things at the same time. And this is reality. And uh, even if you don't do, you know that you're missing on certain things. You're going to need to put several things in motion. Certain things will be in an advanced stage. Certain things will be in an intermediate stage. Or certain things are just in a nascent stage. So you would need to put several things in play. Now, if you run sequentially, focusing on one thing at a time, it's going to become very hard. So fundamentally, our mind does not have that ability to focus on one thing for a longer period of time. That's the big problem. And then we also externally distract ourselves with a lot of other things. There's a social media, there are other media, there are a lot of information floating in, and that wouldn't let us focus on one thing for a long time. In contrast to that one, what I recommend and what I worked uh, from a science perspective is that the way your microprocessor or computer works, computer doesn't do one task at one time. What it does is smartly does a task for certain duration, and pause it to address a, another high prior, priority sequence. But you wouldn't realize, only thing is remember where the last initiative you did, how much you spent, where you paused it, and then it get back there. So similar way as humans, we need to use every single dimension of our personality. We got professional side, we got personal side, we got emotional side, we got lots of artistic side. We are not just professionals only. So if we leverage all of those dimensions and start multiple initiative, one after the another, put it in different stages, you will be able to accomplish more. So this, new, this is the new definition of focus where it says at a given point of time, focus on that particular thing, but doesn't really necessarily have to be a one focus in your life uh, in a given period. You can focus on multiple things. Um, this is going to be very hard, but you, you need to learn how to switch. And then at the end, what's going to happen is one point of time, one after the another, one after the another, you're going to get a series of achievements and you're going to come across very, very productive. What that brought up for me was the analogy of building a house almost, where you've got everyone working together, doing multiple things at the right time that come together to build a house. Is that the right kind of analogy for this? Yeah, it is. It is. Being when you are constructing your house, you don't construct it. You know that at a given point of time, I'm going to need to bring, bring in the plumber to do all the plumbing. You know that at another point of time, you're going to need to bring electrician to lay out the cabling. Then you're going to need to bring in your uh, uh, security guys and all the other people need to come at a different point to accomplish their task. But at the end result is you get a beautifully built house. So I think the analogy is great. That's perfectly what I was saying. So how does this link into learning on the thing that you specialize in, if I was right, it's like walking speed and, and those kinds of things. 
what's missing that will tie it across over to learning and walking speed? Certainly, a very good question, Mike. Uh, I think everything I talked about so far is relevant to learning. It is meant for learning. Number one, you're going to need to have clarity. The moment you have clarity, you know where you're going to go. Outcomes, defining the outcomes is very important. Most of the time, people start from this side and go toward outcomes. But learning works differently. You need to start with outcome, work backward, because if you work backward, you will then be left with a tiny list of things you need to master, not a whole lot of spectrum. So the, the moment you get a very sizable list, logically, you're going to need lesser time. So you're going to be learning faster. So that means now you've you got a time available to you. You will be able to learn faster than other people. So that is a relative speed, of course. But you are using certain smart techniques here by focusing on what is really essential to perform a job at a given point or, or the outcome you want to achieve. That was one thing. There, another piece to that one is that you cannot focus on one thing uh, only. You're going to need to have multiple channels. That essentially means when you're learning, you don't necessarily need to only rely on reading. You're going to need to leverage listening. You're going to need to leverage speaking. You're going to need to leverage watching videos, multiple things. I think most of the time people uh, do mistake it. They only depend upon one channel, which they like. Some people like videos, but there are certain things your mind can only encode when you listen. And there are certain things you cannot master until you write. So there are a lot of senses you need to involve to learn. So the multiple channel need to be there. So going back to the same concept, when you use multiple channels, you can leave different things at different points and switch between those channels so that eventually by the time you learn, everything is going to get integrated together. And your understanding about a given subject, concept, or job, or a skill will be far better than other people. Now, if it is far better than other people, you're already ahead of the curve. So that was another concept uh, in learning faster. There is one thing which is missing in the whole uh, discussions in books, in blogs, uh, or whoever you talk, whoever say that uh, they are learning specialists. One piece they don't uh, advocate is that sometime when you, have, you understand the outcome, you understand, okay, this is the outcome, what I want to achieve. This is the breakdown of the milestone. Sequencing it correctly and strategically can actually save you a lot of time because just when you sequence it, then you say, okay, I need to achieve here. In order to achieve here, this is the thing I need to achieve. So you only focus on that one. You don't really go into all that fatty stuff. So you remove a lot of fat out of the equation. So now the result is you have a sequence which is very thin, very lean. You are only focusing on things that are essential to achieve outcome. So this sequencing aspect is typically not talked about much, but it has a very powerful impact on making the learning faster. And more often people start learning and they start opening the books or notes or websites, but they do not build the sequence. So my recommendation always is get the clarity on the outcome, let's work backward, let's break into smaller milestones, let's break into smaller outcomes which are achievable. Because in learning, one thing is very important, sense of achievement. So you need to break it down to smaller portions so that you accomplish it, you get the sense of achievement, then you move with a better energy to the next outcome. And once you sequence it, you will be able to achieve certain things you wouldn't imagine. Um, I can give you several examples. I mean, I did my TEDx speech within uh, six weeks of preparation. 
which normally doesn't happen because people typically uh, um, prepare for about six months. But, but six months kind of thing is that where uh, they get into lots of things which are unnecessary. Uh, for example, uh, uh, as a TEDx speaker, I was just supposed to sit on a chair. That means I didn't need to learn the whole body language things, what they typically teach. So there was a lot of fat I could remove just by sequencing it correctly. So once you follow this kind of process, your learning is going to be much faster. I hope I can give you a little bit expanded answer, but this is the most comprehensive way we can uh, speed up learning. I'll be happy to hear some more examples of how learning can be sped up through using sequencing. Have you got like a, a before sequencing, how things could look, and then when you focus on the, the sequence of events and when you do certain things, share a bit about how that would then speed up as a result? Yeah, yeah, yeah certainly. I mean, uh, there, there are, uh, you know, uh, specialized consultants uh, in, in the U.S. They're, 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 only focuses on sequencing. So they master the science of sequencing. And uh, part of that one, what they figured out is they could actually achieve 30% reduction in time. With something which you would uh, normally achieve in one year, uh, you could achieve that one in, in 30% lesser time. Wow. And I experimented a lot of those techniques. Uh, I mean, I was just uh, uh, giving you the TEDx example that uh, I didn't need to learn everything. I needed to only sequence it correctly. So I needed to build a, a sequence for six weeks. And I did not start from here to here. I start from here myself. The outcome was I should be able to give a successful TEDx speech, even though I have never done a speech like that before in my life. So now the question is, okay, how, let's come backward. What are the essential things I'm going to need? So I only put the most essential thing and I didn't focus on anything which wasn't even relevant, which might be relevant to a speaker in if you're speaking in a conference, if you're speaking in something else. And that wasn't the, the situation. I only needed to focus how to scan on the red dot and be able to deliver a message. So when you look at that outcome and you sequence it backward, uh, you will be able to save lots of your time. I mean, it's unimaginable, six weeks, a TEDx speech kind of thing. Uh, unless you are a born speaker, which, which I wasn't really. Uh, but the thing is that once you think that way systematically, uh, you can achieve that. How can somebody else figure out what their sequence is? Does it come down to how they learn maybe, like their learning styles perhaps? What types of strategies do you have to help people find what their sequencing is? Is this something that you can find out yourself or do you need like the outside eye, so to speak, to see what you can't see? Yeah, this is a little difficult answer to this one um, because, uh, you know, most of the people, they are not taught how to learn better. Most of our schools, universities, anywhere we'll go to learn, uh, if you see the focus of those trainers or teachers always have been to give us the content. Mathematics teacher teach us how to solve mathematical equations. If we go to another subject uh, in engineering or anything, they focus on that content. Nobody ever teaches how do you absorb this content faster, better, or more effectively. Nobody teaches the underlying equation, how the mind is going to take this information, what kind of strategy we can use. So I, I would say that 
because there is no, nothing has been much written. Whatever has been written is mostly academic style. And, uh, you know, as a business professional or any working professional, you wouldn't read those academic books. You would want to read something which is in your language. And there are not many. So essentially, the guidance sources are not there out many. And not many teachers know this art of learning effectively. They know the art of delivering content. But the art of learning is something that comes with experimentation. So to answer the question, yes, you're going to need some help. You're going to need somebody who has mastered that art and science to be able to put you on the right track so that you don't spend time here then trying to figure out. Most of the time we figure out, you know, spend a lot of time trying to figure out. So if you go to a person who has figured it out, that will be your best bet. But as a person, no, not everyone will be able to afford to go to a person and seek guidance because there are not many such people out there who can really coach you how to learn better and effective. People can coach you on the, on the content, but not on the learning technique. Um, many of those uh, will coach you on um, outdated techniques like learning style. Those where there are no evidence that those things are really working out. Already there are studies and research that's proven that those things do not work. And you will see a lot of trainers still emphasizing those. So they already kind of put us in a wrong frame of mind to use wrong techniques, which are never going to be effective. For people, my recommendation is this one, that uh, you always have to look at the relationship of skills. Relationship skills, what I mean by that one is that you wouldn't know the, the sequence unless you think in terms of integration. If I need to perform some job, I, if I'm a firefighter, my job is, my outcome is to put off the fire quickly. That's the skill. That's the outcome. Now, that would require me to use my critical thinking. That would require me to use some mechanical uh, skills. It will require my skills to be able to break the door. It will require my skills to be able to operate pump, understand how much pressure, how much uh, you know, volume of water I'm going to need. So I need all those separate skills, but my job will not be done unless I integrate them together. Most of the schools, most of the training centers, most of the training programs do not teach integration skills. Once you have understood, okay, what is the final integration skill? I should be able to put together all physics, chemistry or fire, fire fighting or putting of the fire together into my outcome. And that becomes your outcome. And once you start from there, you all the time focus on integration. And then you say, okay, what are my other skills I need to learn? You will be amazed to see that 50% of things which you originally thought are not even needed. And uh, that focus only comes, that clarity only comes when you think of outcome in terms of integration of many skills. That makes sense when you think about amount of things that we think that we need or that we think that we need to know until we then actually start to take action and start to actually get the ball rolling so to speak do we actually realize what we need to know like what's important what are the the key essential things one of the things that that speaks to is not needing to know the full staircase before you take the first step is there an element of that whereby you can try to find too much about the thing that you want to learn 
rather than just going, okay, what do I need to know to be able to take the first step? And then what do I need to know to be able to take the second step? How, how do you balance those two things? Yeah, it's a very, a very, very good question, Mike, because this is where people get lost. And this is where most of the trainers get us confused and get us lost because they bombard us with those things. Um, number one thing is I tell people, content is not king. Do not focus too much on content because when the moment you're going to focus on content, you're going to get lost because there is so much content and most of the content might be irrelevant. The most important thing is the context. In what context are you going to be operating or are you going to be using a skill? Um, for example, a salesperson. If you are, if your job is to make $1 million sales and you are hired for that particular thing and your job is you, you're going to need to produce $1 million worth of sales every month. Now, do you need to master every single presentation skills out there? Probably not. Do you need to master every customer negotiation skills out there? Probably not. Do you need to master every single specification of your product? Probably not. So the pen question comes, what exactly are you going to need to master? The answer is very simple. You need to master $1 million sales a month. You start with that. And then you say, okay, all right, $1 million sales, how can I achieve it? Perhaps your approach, if you are very analytical oriented, instead of getting uh, bogged with this presentation skill, negotiation skills, training, which is going to go weeks and weeks and weeks, you say, all right, I am going to look at my customer database and I'm going to see who are our top customers historically over the last 10 years. And I am going to pick the top 10 because they have been purchasing from us so long. Why can't I go back to them and make another sale of $1 million? Maybe one sale a month is worth $1 million if I approach it correctly. So now you're using your analytical data-oriented skills to make that skill. You didn't really get bogged down with all the other skills. So you see that you didn't need to master 90% of the thing which other salespeople might be spending their time. Now, somebody else might have a different level of a personality. They may say their, their uh, way of working might be something like that. They only want to connect with the customer emotionally. Instead of selling them something, they will sit with the customer. What's, what's your pain? You know, what kind of struggle you are running into? Uh, maybe they want to go into their own circle, build their friendship, and without using any negotiation skill, without using any presentation skill, or even without using data analytics, they might be able to make a sales just with the emotional connection. So you see this, different context require different strategies. But the moment you focus on content, you're going to get lost. The moment you focus on context in your setting, you're going to be much faster, and you then you will know what you are learning is too much and what you are learning is the most essential. Maybe that most essential is only tiny part, but that's what is going to get the job done. Very, very interesting point that you made about the approach as well, how you approach the situation, the problem that you're trying to solve or the, the outcome that you're trying to achieve that can make all the difference can't it learning how you yourself want to approach the outcome right that's very important and that's that's the personality uh, you know um, the contribution i always keep telling people that we are not simple human beings we are very complex creature 
We have artistic side, we have professional side, we have personal side, we have spiritual side, we have family member, we are son of somebody, we are spouse of somebody. We have so many different um, dimensions of our personality. If we don't do the job, if we don't apply all dimensions of our personality to get the outcome, or if we don't apply the most natural part of our personality in order to achieve the outcome, it's always gonna take longer. So learned personality can only take you so much. You're gonna always need to depend upon who you are. What's your fundamental personality? What are your fundamental drives? And then question comes is how do you use those as part of your learning faster? So what is missing from this process then? We've covered a lot. I imagine people listening are making a lot of notes what's missing what's left i know you've outlined a lot of things in your book as well i'd be curious to know what is the main thing that we haven't covered at the moment that is one of the key things so we're talking a key that not many people are aware of okay so i think the one of the things which we have been saying is that learning is no different from the way you live your life it's not that what you learn in colleges, university, or workplace are, are entirely different thing. No, we have been learning in our life ever since we were born. And the way we remember everything happened with us. And if, you, if I could tell you, Mike, what do you remember vividly? Most likely you're going to say a, an experience which was emotional in nature. Yeah. Because emotion wouldn't let us forget anything. It, we did, don't even need to put any effort Emotions, when emotions are involved, that learning becomes faster, effective, and deeper. And you'll never forget throughout your life. And uh, imagine that when we are in fearful situations, for example, uh, your manager comes to your seat and say, I need this report by Monday morning. And it's already Friday afternoon. And you don't know how to do it. But miraculously, Monday morning, report is ready. So this, these emotions of fear, pressure, all the other things which we actually experience in our life are very important. Unfortunately, when we start learning, what we do is we start opening the book. We start to become detached. We start to become dispassionate. And we say, okay, this is content. This is content. I'm going to need to absorb it. Unless we bring in our emotion, the whole personality, who we are, the, we, we, our body is never going to get connected with the learning, what we're learning, we're doing, trying to do. And this particular concept of connecting your emotions and body with what you learn is not very common. And maybe you know, not many people actually experience. They know it is somewhere, they, but they don't reflect upon this that way. The moment you use all sort of all dimension of your personality, you bring in your emotion, you bring in environment to your body, you bring in all senses, you forget all the styles and everything. What's going to happen is your learning is going to be unparalleled and it's going to be deeper, it's going to be better. What's the future life for yourself then? Are you, are you actually learning things at the moment? What's the latest challenge that you've chosen to, to put yourself to? <laughs> Every day is a challenge. I have been trying to do something different because I think I have gone through a lot of journey. And in my case, if you see, um, I resorted to learning. Learning was my life savior. It saved me and I mastered that art through experimentation. Then I went on research. I did two doctorates in learning. 
and I try to figure out how people learn better, faster, and how we can make it work for everyone. What worked for me? What worked for me, it might be something subjective to my personality, but can it work for other people? That was my question. So I had done a lot of research. So over the time, I'll kind of decode a lot of uh, um, strategies, I would say. And then I, my challenge is right now, how do I start putting those in my books? How do I start putting those in training courses? How does I start putting those in my coaching and mentoring program so that I kind of keep transmitting it out to the world? So those are the current challenges which I'm working on. And uh, I every month I kind of write a new book. So as I said, uh, you know, my uh, strategy of uh, focus, switching between the channels. So that gives me so much horsepower that I can put up about five, six books in a year very easily. And these are massive books. 500, 600 pages books. Those are not small books. Those are well-researched books on a particular topic. So those are the kind of thing I'm trying to get involved in. So part of that one is, uh, I think I learned a lot and I'm now trying to learn how I translate what is in my mind and thinking into pay, onto the paper in a way that people can learn easily and follow it. And they don't need me directly. So that's a part of the learning process that I'm trying to decode. And uh, that's the thing I'm right now busy with. That's the thing that I was going to get your opinion on as well, is flipping the script a little bit on learning. It's almost like teaching is more important, is the impression that I'm getting. Someone's ability to teach or someone's ability to uh, use what you've talked us through today to impart it onto somebody else. The ability to communicate how to learn is almost more important than the learner's ability to learn. It's like you've got to understand the person before you then try to teach them. That's correct, uh, I think, to some extent. And that's how the whole education system were built. So far, I mean, in, in any country you look at the education system, the training program, everything was built with that concept. Teaching is more important than learning. And I think that possibly is part of the problem that we don't teach learner how to learn better with or without a teacher. And that's the, I think, the missing piece in the equation that teacher focus too much on content. They don't teach us the underlying techniques. In reality, they should put the content on one side. Hey, guys, this is the content. Here are the five strategies I want you to use while you refer to this content. And here is how you're going to build this one so that you integrate this one in your day-to-day -day life. This is how you're going to analyze. This is how you're going to you know, absorb this one. This is how you're going to kind of take it forward. But I am not going to spend time on content. First, let's master five techniques. Then we'll look at the content. This doesn't happen in any classroom anywhere in the world because the moment teacher comes in the classroom they open up a book they open up the content i'm going to teach you uh, thermodynamics today or uh, physics of steam engine or whatever it is but the thing is i think we have never taught our learners how to learn better and that should start when they are kid you know uh, even parents sometimes focus too much on content uh, hey, finish your homework finish your content finish reading this one instead of focusing on how do we learn so I hope I can give you a little controversial answer here, but I think that's part of the problem. Do you think that breeds reliance on things like teachers and the education system? It's kind of like we won't teach them how to learn on their own. 
that breeds this element of they rely on us now because we are supposed to, in air quotes, know how people learn and know what's best. They just need to learn this content and that's enough. Does that breed the reliance? Does that mean like they can't do anything without the education system? Do you think that's what's going on? I think if you look at this one, if you build uh, right from the childhood, the learners who have uh, real good thinking skills, and not just one kind of thinking, we're talking about nonlinear thinking, uh, we're talking about critical thinking, creative thinking, uh, uh, we are talking about uh, all sort of thinking that goes, I think most of the time we don't teach people how to think. If they are really good in thinking, they know how to use different strategies think through in a given situation, they will be self-learning everything, almost. And that's, uh, I think, part of the uh, equation here that uh, we should kind of induct these people how to think. And uh, once they master that, I don't think they need to master anything. The rest, everything automatically flows out of that. So if you were going to build a school, bear with me now, right? Uh, if you were going to build a school yourself and you mentioned teaching people how to think, how to learn, how to think for themselves, and then you have the content that probably is outcome driven, I'm assuming based on the conversation we've had, is a school or an education system that's outcome driven. How would you build the curriculum? How would you create the school? Big question, Mike. I try to decode that one myself. I, I'm nowhere close to that one. <laughs> <laughs> That's a massive question. I mean, it should be my kind of life goal sort of thing uh, to do that. Uh, but I think it is uh, possible if you hear some of the schools in India, they're they called schools for happiness. That means they teach kids how to enjoy, how to be happy and have fun in the life. They have put the content aside or at the back end, content typically give, they give them as a homework sort of, hey, you know what, by the way, um, there is some work you gotta need to do sort of, but they focus on telling people how to have fun. Now, at a surface, maybe a few years ago, it would have looked impossible, but our uh, uh, all old literature, particularly those religious books and everything you see, they have already given us the techniques, how to have fun, how to live life in a fulfillment, in a way that you're happy, but we never leverage those techniques nor those strategies. So equivalently saying, if there are techniques which we can draw from history that how to be happy, how to keep family happy, how to live life happily, same way, and if you see in the ancient times, people used to focus on thinking, or the, the kings uh, or their uh, you know, staff member, those were the people who were supposed to be the top notch thinker in the country. So the thing is that the thinking strategies are there. There's a whole lot of science about how do we build this uh, thinking. So this comes a lot of way. We can create play, we can create games, we can create situations, we can create scenarios. Once we put people into a situation and we ask them to create an outcome, all senses of their mind start working toward getting it. But what we do is we don't give them the content, we give them the objective. So once we keep those, uh, the entire curriculum thing in form of situations, in form of scenarios with clear goals, and we give them certain tips, these are the five things you gotta need to keep in mind. So then collectively when they work together in a social uh, setting, 
talking to each other because in, in your own setting also, when you get into a problem, where do you go? You go to your friend, hey, I got stuck. Tell me, can you help me? Oh, what, where exactly I'm stuck? So you seek a lot of feedback. You seek a lot of reflection from other people and from yourself. So there's a lot of th things that enhance your thinking that will take you forward toward that goal. So I think if I'm gonna need to build a school of that kind, I will focus on building these kind of scenarios where people interact, where they build, uh, grow on those uh, uh, tips and strategies while content uh, could be a secondary thing. Once they know how to solve problems, how to think creatively, critically, and also analytically, they will be able to apply those on the content. The content can come strategically. We can sprinkle it. But uh, right now what happens is we give them the content and we sprinkle the techniques. It should be the other way around. We should sprinkle the context and technique. Sorry, we should build the entire system of uh, techniques and strategies. And then we should sprinkle the content on top of that. What do you say to the idea of shortening school if we did this? So if we put the school together, we were teaching people how to think, how to learn, and a lot of it was similar to like the university system in the UK almost, where there's a lot of hours that are spent on self-study around a particular topic or area and all those kinds of things. Is that how you could see it looking, where you're taught how to learn, you're taught how to process information and think, and then you go, okay, I want you to go away and try your best to learn about how to do, let's just say, physics as an example. Is that something that you would be for or against? How do you think about this idea of self-directed learning as well as learning the principles and the techniques for learning? My opinion on this one is a little bit, uh, I would say, again, controversial. Um, I think self-directed learning has been overstated, over-glorified. Over um, kids or any individuals, they wouldn't be in a state of self-learning everything. There has to be a state of readiness after which they can learn anything. They, they need to have some sort of foundation. Problem with that self-directed learning is we're trying to build foundation using self-learning. And it's gonna fail. It fails because the moment these guys go to the more complex scenarios, the foundation is so weak that it's not gonna hold true. So I think that's where the mystery, if you look at this one, self-directed learning, mathematics, physics, science, and I mean, all kinds of subjects are now getting into self-directed, but that may not be the right approach because mind may not work to self-learn every single thing. There are certain things you're gonna need hand-holding. There are certain things you're gonna need some external facilitation to put you into the situation to trigger certain uh, set of energies that's gonna help you solve a situation. In certain cases, you're gonna need some, some level of coaching. In some situations, you're gonna need one-way teaching. I tell you what to do, you do it sort of. In other cases, you're gonna need some kind of coaching that, okay, I'm gonna ask you a question, you tell me what you find. And in certain other situation, it's gonna be something like this. You know, guys, I had this situation and I lived through, your situation is similar, let me give you some mentoring. So I think this perspective of where we're gonna need coaching, where we're gonna need teaching, where we're gonna need training, where we're gonna need uh, self-learning, and all those things are not really well thought out in this whole uh, concept of self-directed uh, learning. Fundamentally, self-directed learning means schools, management, companies, they save millions of dollars. 
that's the only reason it becomes so popular because people save money and they put that money in propagating. Okay, it works. It's great. It's effective. But at, at a learning level, it is not great. I mean, even during pandemic, look at you know, how many things you had to learn yourself. Was it painful or not? It was probably more. Many of those things we had to learn ourselves were painful. So from a learner side, there are certain areas which we can learn ourselves. There are certain areas we can always need help, coaching, teaching. So I think it has to be a combination of all those strategies. One single strategy, just everything self-directed. You go home, learn yourself, particularly telling our kids. Uh, I think that's a disaster. <laughs> Definitely, definitely one way to put it. Um, in the spirit of not wanting to leave any stone unturned, you not wanting to miss anything off at the end of this conversation, which has been fascinating, what would you like to leave the listeners with? Anything that we've missed? And then we can share how people can find out more about you. Yeah, I don't think we missed it. Uh, thank you so much, Mike. You are a fantastic host. You dived into lots of uh, areas and then also dived into uh, with the follow-on questions. So I think you kind of turned every stone <laughs> upside down. So uh, it was a wonderful conversation. Um, but part of this one, my, my whole philosophy of learning uh, science as well as in personal journey of how I came about uh, out of adversity, I kind of realized this thing. People overplay the role of motivation or inspiration. I, I personally realized it doesn't take us any further. It may take us a little further, but the, that is gonna diffuse out, it's gonna fume out. Uh, clarity is something which is always gonna stay with you. Once you have that clarity, whether you are learning something, whether you're performing a job, whether you want to get out of your difficult situation, once you seek those five aspects of clarity I was talking about, I think you are never going to need motivation or inspiration. And um, I know that people still chase motivation and inspiration, but that chase might not lead us anywhere. Rather, we should invest our energy on finding the right outcome, right clarity, and then that is going to propel us forward. But I think that was one of the messages I would like to give your audience. Uh, to your second question, people can find me on my website, ramankr3.com. I recently launched a program called get there faster. Uh, they can also find the same program on the website called get-therefaster.com. It will basically it's a link to the same website, ramankathri.com, whichever way they can go. And they can kind of learn about what are the techniques, strategies, science, and art I talked about to get you there faster. Thank you so much for being a guest on the show. For those that are listening, make sure you subscribe if you haven't already so you don't miss any of our future episodes. Leave a review wherever you are listening into your podcast and feel free to share the show, tell others, spread the word and I look forward to seeing you all again on the next episode. Raymond, thank you so much for being a guest on the show. I really appreciate you taking the time. Thank you so much, Mike. It was a wonderful conversation. Appreciate it. If you want to join a community of like-minded people that are on the journey for health, wealth, and happiness, then my fulfillment community, my inner circle, is for you. You get continuous support from myself and also the opportunity to be supported, helped, guided, and collaborate with the other members 
as well. And also you get the chance to ask my podcast guests questions. Plenty of people in there already. So if you click the link in the description for the episode, you get access to a two-month free trial and you're under no obligation to continue and you can cancel whenever you want. Hopefully I'll see you there and I look forward to helping you on your journey.